Hello and welcome to Movies and Tea After Hours. I'm your host, always, Edward Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co-host, Miss Kim Lowe. Hello. Tonight, we continue our After Hour specials, um, as it's Kim's turn to pick, as we look at City of Ember, a young adult adaptation, which is rather fitting, because it ties in very nicely with Mortal Engines, which we covered last time, both in terms of source material as well as plotting, as City of Ember sees humanity living underground after a post-apocalyptic event uh, now 200 le- years later a mystery briefcase could provide the hope and salvation that the city severely needs as the generators fa- failing and threatening to plunge the whole city into eternal darkness kim this is obviously your choice for this episode as we said it ties in rather nicely because the last one we did mortal engines which is obviously post-apocalyptic world and cities are now mobile and now here we have post-apocalyptic event and now cities are all underground. Um, so what was it about City of Ember that uh, made you want to bring it to the show? I just really love this movie. I know that it's like a young adult. It's kind of more of like a kid's movie. <laughs> but I just really, I've always really liked it. Um, I thought, I think just like the adventure, the pacing, um, I mean, the young Shersha Ronan is fantastic. I really, like, I'm a big fan of Shersha Ronan, so I watch anything with her in it right now. But, I mean, like, I really like the whole setting. And it's the, I think it's, what caught me the first time is the gamer in me that when it first panned into this overhead look of the city, like, it was exactly like Final Fantasy VII. I can see that now. (laughs) And I remember that, seeing that. And I was just like, oh my god, it reminded me of Final Fantasy VII, um, like the city itself so much and i just really really loved it uh but uh yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it was definitely um a cozy movie to say the least because obviously at the moment we're now in in autumn as we record this and outside it's uh getting over cold and dark i mean the stunt game has been out there felling the great oaks and he really shared off putting us all to shame while we're here reviewing this movie <laughs> don't know why he didn't want to share it out there, but that's Kim's preference. But um, anyway, but no, but the, I see now that obviously when you know you mentioned obviously with Final Fantasy VII because it is very much a final that same sort of world. I mean, it's kind of a slum, kind of a underground city. I mean, this is a world where if the generator fails, everything's plunged into complete darkness, and at the heart of it, you've got this briefcase that has been passed from mayor to mayor to mayor. And has been set to open after 200 years. However, along the process and around the time of the 8th mayor, the briefcase got lost, or more precisely, got stuffed in a closet, the same way we do with all things that are valuable. We tuck them away in a closet with all intention to return to them and then just completely forget about them. And the same can be said for this briefcase, which, as they're showing this briefcase being passed across, I have to say it's getting real dinged up and dented and scratched and stuff. And it's all like, and these people aren't moving. How? What are they doing with this briefcase? I mean, surely something so important you would have a little pedestal or something to put it on, like a lock it in a vault or something. Yeah, but I think I think the thing is that it, it almost feels like mayor to mayor. They know what's going on, like themselves, but it's so that but then no one else knows other than the mayor. It's like the secret that the city is not supposed to know because they don't want them to be frantic. They don't want them to think about the outside world because all the rules are to protect them to be in this space for 200 years and everything, the builders, the engineers and everything are set to be in this world. And I think that it's that type of world building that really, that I really like about here is, 
is when you're thinking about your life being like obviously our life is generated by electricity you know everything our computers everything is generated by it but we still have the outside world but here it's just a world which is underground you have strings of lights everywhere everything is powered in a very you know everyone's trying to power in their own way just like they're they're doing the little pedal to generate the the sounds and the electricity for that and and all those little things i i really i really think it's um i think it's just really unique the world itself because obviously in a world like that you know that as the world falls apart and as they're trying to create this place the you know um they're trying to like thrive with, like keep it going with food and everything you start seeing that as they move around that a lot of it is being hidden how much food is left or um, how sustainable everything is and 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 you know like the deeper plots obviously oh definitely so and i think it's becomes apparent quite early on just how basically patched together this city is as um you've got one of the elder sort of pipesmen who's uh the, they're repairing pipes and it's sort of like well should we get some new pipe and it's like there is no new pipe we've just got plenty of patches so all we gotta do is just keep patching things together and it made a lot of sense because obviously the city's been there for 200 years, but they didn't really plan ahead of what sort of resources they were going to need or perhaps it was just thrown together rather quickly. So everything's very much sort of like bolted together in the city and it's all falling apart, in particular the generator, which is obviously one of the main plot points here and the fact that it's constantly failing. Um, but the start of the story, I mean, obviously we introduced the graduating students of Ember City School um, who were assigned their roles that they're going to undertake in the city and it's all assigned by lottery and handed out by Merco, played by Bill Murray doing a little bit of dramatic role here it's less comedic more dramatic I thought I don't know I thought it was pretty funny <laughs> I mean I, I don't I didn't find it as funny as you watch it a few more times but I think the first time I watched it I thought it was pretty it was it was pretty fitting yeah. for him I guess like he 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 took the role really well and and, you know, and I think it's always surprising when you watch movies like this and you're like, and you don't feel like there's like a huge budget behind mm. it. <laughs> and then you're like, but they got Bill Murray and then they got Tim Robbins. And then, you know, like you have some familiar faces here and there and then you start seeing all and you're just kind of like, well, you know, that's that's kind of neat that they were able to get all these people in to to to, to power this movie through. Right? Yeah, I mean, they got Matt. But it could be. But I mean, it could be because you know Tom Hanks is a producer and he could pull some strings. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, you also got Toby Jones, you got Martin Lando. Um, yeah. So, depending on like what sort of where your movie tastes lie, then you'll probably get a bit more excited. I mean, they even got Mary Jean Baptiste, um, who plays the gardener uh, Clary. Which I was yeah. I was excited to see, and it's kind of funny to see her actually doing an English accent for a change because she'd done a long stretch of just doing American accents because she's part of that that brethren of British actors who went over to America and did like more convincing American accents than actual American actors, um, like when you see um, when you watch like The Wire, um, you see Idris Elba as a as a uh, Baltimore drug dealer, <laughs> so. <laughs> and then you forget oh wait a minute here's one of us so but um no i liked this and uh, the initial sort of set up of this word i mean the idea that your roles you don't choose your own life you you assigned it um and with our two leads here so we've got loris who's um obviously played by uh Cerise ronin who would later go on to play hannah and ladybird 
and being little women so I think later in the life she's gone she sort of like really sort of stepped out but so at this point she's really early into her, her career well yeah this is really early I think it's probably around the same time that she did that movie with um with as Michelle Pfeiffer's daughter mm. uh I forgot the name of it but um it was I can never be your woman and she played like the she. I think that was one of her first roles, and it was like a child. It was like the child role. But then, I think as she goes further down into her career, she really picks things that are. I think she's done a, a really big variety of roles, from you know like, uh, killers to hmm. <laughs> to vampires to dramas to. You know, quirky, quirky uh, Wes Anderson film. Well, yeah, I mean, she was in Grand Budapest Hotel along with Bill Murray as well, because obviously Bill Murray has to be in every Wes Anderson movie ever made, because that's the law. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, the, it's, so we've obviously got Linda who's uh, and Dune, um, the pair swap roles, because Dune wants to be working electrician, because he's obsessed with the generator, and he's also the son of uh, an inventor repairman, Loris, who's uh, played by. Sorry, he's um, his uh, dad's played by Tim Robbins, who I don't know. It was kind of an understated role for Robbins, I would say, in this one. It's he's not given him much to do apart from act kind of odd, and give like really vague clues about things. <laughs> but I mean these films are always like that right you know like I think it had to do with the fact that he didn't want his his son to 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 follow his path because of what happened to Lena's parents so I think it all kind of ties together in a really abstract type of way yeah. um but I you know like I think it's just that when you when you watch the two of them you their their fates are kind of set when the moment that they swap their swap their roles right definitely so and i love the the whole pipework setup um where you you plug into different outlets so you can power the light on the the helmet light and just the way those those pipes look work i mean it's all the behind the scenes stuff where it's all like the big gears and things like that which i just really loved and i think it appeals to because my grandfather was an industrial engineer so he basically built those big sort of uh, piston engines and things uh, most of his work you can still find in the museum of, of um, science and air um, over at greater manchester museum including the big traction engine they got up there that was his work so whenever i see stuff like this it's always got like sense of fascination because it was always like stuff that we were introduced to at such an early age and when you see it on screen it's got such a visual presence and then the problem is that when you go back into the city and everything's sort of like it feels too much like you're looking at sets. It hasn't got the same sort of presence. Mm. It's all like... Um, it's kind of like, you know, what traditional sort of medieval-style sets, basically. A set with, like, a few modern twists here and there. Um, and it's kind of a, sh kind of a shame, because the whole time I'm watching this film, I'm just waiting for them to, like, leave the city and the adventure to be them leaving the city. But the whole film, instead, is about them building up to them leaving the city there's nothing actually outside and i was i think that's where my disappointment lies is that i'm waiting for the events to get started when the end of the film is um is it them escaping the city is the adventure so to speak yeah but i mean like if it was a tv series then obviously it would have been that way mm. but 
it, you know, because this became, this was, you know, coincidentally a match to our Mortal Engines was also a box office bomb. It didn't get to continue its film for the franchise. And I would say, like, in the next film, it would have, it, they would have had it set up really well. Like, I don't have a problem with it. I think that the adventure of this was going against the authority, a.k.a. the mayor, um, to use this to find a way to go out. And the whole part about exiting was... One of my favorite sequences. Sure, like, now you look back at it and you're like, you know, I watched it very close to release and that sort of time, like, early 2010s. Um, and, like, y you you can, you know, back then it was it was okay, you know, like, but when you come back to it now, you, you kind of realize, like, when you go back, you, you kind of see that there is this, uh, you know, the CGI is very dated. You can really see that whole, like, uh, boat sequence where it, <laughs> I thought it was amazing when I first saw yeah. it. Like when I first watched this, I thought it was so fun, and I was just thinking, if this was in 3D, this would be incredible <laughs> to watch. Like it would be so, it would be like you're on a roller coaster, yeah. right? You're in those like water rides in an amusement park, and I really, really love that part. And as crazy as you know the whole like oh you know the whole mechanic of the whole thing where they had to set this whole thing in motion and how the builders had set this whole intricate type of thing where the lockers you know would turn into boats and and it would just get there and then you'd have to do this whole setting where you'd have to climb up this long ladder to, and i was just like the only flaw i see here is if people were running the generator, who hasn't seen that long ladder in the back that goes up to the tower <laughs> and thought to turn it on? You know, <laughs> I think people would just. I mean, if there was if if there was one flaw, that would be the only thing. Like in terms of story and and correlation, like this thing has been going on for two hundred years and no one's thought about you know going up that ladder because everybody follows the rules. Um, until you have 200 years later, these two kids who are so desperate to fix their city, <laughs> to find a way out that, you know, they'll they'll do anything. They're pretty desperate <laughs> not to be subjected to another National Day of Singing. This is, this is the big <laughs> event for these people. It's the Day of Singing, which apparently has been reworked by the mayor as a way to distract everyone so he can carry out his nefarious schemes, which has basically been raiding his secret stockpile so he's always uh well fed <laughs> yeah but you know i think you know i think it's really nice because the the story itself you know another thing i really like about it is that you know usually when we have these sort of things we have the two main characters but she always includes like little poppy and Poppy is oh, such a God. fun character. No. Because no, no, no. Poppy is so cute because I really like her because she, you know, like you have kids that are in on sets and they're just a drag. And I really like that, you know, when they're running down the street to go to the generator or whatever, the pipe works or whatever, she doesn't even need to hold her hand. She's just running next to them really quickly. And, 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 you know, the whole time I, I thought it was so cute. Like the whole, the whole way that it, she was going and she wasn't, like, crying and she wasn't, like, you know, all these type of whining things. She was just, like, a quiet little She's girl instead of standing around. That's why. Um, <laughs> all she does is eat paper. That's her big contribution. I was just like, why are you here? I do not need another, I don't need another drain on on my personal resources here in the attention watching this. 
<laughs> but that's because we have we're standing on different spectrums, right? It's because you're a dad, you have kids, yeah, but I just said, <laughs> who drain you every day. But I don't have that problem. So you, you look- <laughs> I actually really enjoy. I thought it was I thought it was such a nice okay. nice type of addition because it wasn't harmful to the set. Um, you know, obviously her eating the paper wasn't wasn't great, but what film doesn't have some hurdles, right? <laughs> it's uh, just like between that and uh, the grandmother character, who the mere thought of the lights going off sends it into such a kerfuffle that she throws all her wool all over the room. It's like if the cat gets into the ribbon ribbon basket. It was just a mess. It was, and it's all like the lights have been off for about two seconds. It's it's still not in dramatic terms yet. The mystery, I mean, the setup was was good. I was like, when I had the, we had the initial sort of setup where you've got the the uh, scientists and they're putting the case together, and I was like, oh well, this is really coming really good. And then it kind of ends into this sort of like plodding middle section, which is like the main sort of plot. And then we get into the big, you know, where where everything's in motion, and we're getting to find out what the purpose of the city was, and this big. Um, planned escape and as I said because it's taking place in the back room so as I said it's all the big clunking gears and we've got the big um, water wheels and all this really great stuff and then we have like the most spindly ass boat that uh, this trio escape on it's sort of like basically it's essentially like um, they're sitting in a hollowed out grandfather clock it's not like anything that looks like would actually float and um yeah, it's as I said, that was the only thing I that distracted me about this whole escape plan. Much like the fact that we, by the time we get, we leave them on the uh, surface, spoiler alert. Um, and you're thinking, well, these are three kids that have just come from underground. They've got no training or no idea of how to find anything. So they're basically screwed. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and their, re- their hope rests on dropping a rock on the city. To let people know that, you know, it worked. Um, and obviously this all gets picked up in the next book. And uh, they meet the a human civilization up on the surface. But, you know, we never got to see that. Because this being another young adult franchise that never was. And we said before Mortal Engines that there's a whole bunch of these. Like the Dark Rising. Um, his Mortal Instruments, I want to say. Uh, his, his Dark his Materials. Materials. Which is obviously uh, Northern Lights. Uh, that failed. Um, Artemis Fowl failed, and that was a Disney Plus exclusive. So, it's um, just because something's like a big book series doesn't mean that it's actually going to make it a big film franchise. Which I think was always the hope that whenever one of these came out, I mean, obviously I understand why Dark Rising failed because it looked cheap as all hell. But um, yeah, for whatever reason, this just didn't strike a chord with audiences. It took them um, only fifteen million. Uh, sorry, he took a seventeen point nine million against a budget of fifty five million. So, um, yeah. not even. Close. I don't know. I mean, I, I, to, to me, to be fair, I mean, when we talk about Mortal Engines like last time or City of Ember, these two books I really didn't really know about until the movies came out. So, and City of Ember, I remembered I picked up fairly cheap. It was like in the bargain bin when I picked it up, and. And the only reason why I picked it up was because it was in a bargain bin. And then it sends, sometimes you find some gems. And then this was one of them for me, obviously. It was a gem because I had a lot of fun with it. And 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 it's always kind of like a go-to movie when I kind of want some adventure. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I mean, I understand where, you know, where you're coming from about all of this. And even, like, watching it this time for the recording, I mean, I, I definitely noticed some of these things a little bit more because, you know, I'm a more seasoned movie viewer now. But, um, or at least I like to think that. <laughs> <laughs> but I still was, I still, I still was really engrossed in the movie. I thought it was really fun. I was super into it. And it was, it has this, like, very, um... I don't know, I guess what you call a comfort, feel good. I don't know, I really enjoyed it. Like, the whole dynamic of, of Lena's character, or Dune's character, I think they contrasted really well. And then you have the other, the rest of the cast, maybe the adult cast was kind of really, was like, you know, they weren't used as much as they could be. Yeah. But at the same time, I think what they tried to achieve was done. I mean, obviously, I think what failed the box office was just the film didn't, probably didn't have the popularity that it needed um like for maybe the franchise wasn't as popular uh the book franchise itself wasn't as popular and i i don't know i mean i think that that's one of the main reasons because honestly i i never even heard of city of ember <laughs> like before i fa i saw it in in the in the store shelf so yeah it's uh it's certainly a, a unique and interesting tone and i think it's one that it, it, I don't know. I don't. I just don't know if it would have really sort of grabbed the audience if they went on to the, the next books. Obviously, I had a quick read of the um, the plot, the next book, and I'm between. I'm not sure that would really appeal to kids either, because obviously it's uh, set in the uh, surface world, and you've got the the surface dwelling tri tribe meeting with the Ember City tribe, and it's sort of like this this tr lack of trust between them and stuff. It just felt like it were a little too dry for the kids, but... But, but you see, that's the thing is, I think that City of Ember, like, for me, what differs from you is that I actually thought that, that the inside setting was really good. I wasn't... I wasn't... Like, sure, I want them to go out, but I think that ending it on one... This, this part was not a bad thing because a lot of movies have that sort of thing, or TV series, where you have that long... Um, that kind of moment where, oh, you it's like some post-apocalyptic world. Like, the 100, for example, they were living on ships and then they finally tossed these 100 kids into, they tossed these 100 kids into, um, into, onto the ground that was, yeah. you know, post-nuclear war or whatever. And, and then you have to see all their little things and it really, and a lot of those plots go very similarly you see civilization that's there. You have some type of power struggle. And, and basically it starts being very like all about the characters themselves and how they build up from there. So I don't know if, if the second, if they went on, it would have been any success um, or any more successful than this one or less successful than this one. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it, it's hard to say. I, I, but I mean, I like City of Ember because of the setting itself. I, I, I mean, I've never, I, I keep wanting to read the books, like the whole book series, but I've, I haven't gotten around to it yet. <laughs> so. Um, there's also, uh, to mix things up, we also get a giant mole. <laughs> oh, that's something we didn't mention. Yeah. Because yeah. I really like, you know, you know what I really like is that years after this, because we don't know what happened, right? On the surface. No, no, there's never um, explained. Like they keep it really vague. We just know that there's some post-apocalyptic event that happened. And and now we see these insects, which are overgrown pretty much. And they're showing up everywhere. Like, I, I thought the moth was cute buttons, though. So, seriously. 
<laughs> that moth was so cute. <laughs> and then you have like the moles and stuff, and 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 the <laughs> that being your biggest threat is is kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's a unique movie where, and I think it, in that respect, I mean, obviously, um, I can't think of another film where someone gets eaten by a mole, but <laughs> um, but. Uh, I mean, the film. I mean, we haven't even talked about who uh, directs this film because this is where it's kind of interesting. Because the film's directed by Gil Keenan, who um, his first film was Monster House, which was like a really fun yeah. animated movie. And mm. again, it's one of those movies that it came out and it sold just under the surface, but it's a really great sort of animated movie and one that I would definitely recommend hunting out. And this was sort of like his live action follow up. Um, so yeah. this was going to be like his big sort of breakout hit and then he folded up with the adaptation of uh, Poltergeist which again I think even less people saw so unfortunately he's had a bit of a diminishing returns of people going to see his movies um, that uh, seem to be going down but um, no as I said those those three movies I've I've yet to watch the remake of Poltergeist but um, I have to say this is, a, this is a real departure from Monster House I was really hoping when I found out he did Monster House that um it would it would be some of a similar sort of vein tonally, but it's it's not. Instead, it's about it's much more. And I've seen people like bounce around. That it's like Brazil for, for beginners, but I think that don't really touch upon it. It's just kind of uh, taps into that sort of like the same words like Hunger Games and stuff, where the children are really sort of switched on. The adults are kind of just so beaten down by the system, they're just conforming. Um, so it falls down to the uh, the kids to. To basically uh, do a, <laughs> to uh, get humanity need to where it needs to be. Mm. Um, but it's interesting. He cites David Lynch, Richard Elfman, and uh, Alfred Hitchcock as his director influences. <laughs> um, I mean, you could definitely feel a little bit of that because I mean, Monster House was. Was it on the edge of being more kind of creepy and fun? Oh, definitely so. Um, it's got some real dark moments in there. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, Monster House is, uh, like, I, I totally agree with you. I actually think it's a really underrated animated film. I've actually thought about it tossing it in for After Hours at one point. Um, but I just never found the time to do it. <laughs> like, when to when to put it in. Because um, it, is, it, is really, it is a really fun type of movie. Um Especially if you watch it during like Halloween, really fit for Halloween. And stuff. Yeah, have a backsidel um, over at uh, Man I Love Film podcast. Uh, put it as one of her thirty-one Halloween treats. So, because she's been whereas we were obviously doing the Hooptober uh, this year, she was doing thirty-one uh, Halloween treats, where she was highlighting her favorite spooky things, and Monster House was on that list. And then we all got very excited because it's an excuse to talk about Monster House. But um, yeah, definitely one. I think as I said, it's one that we need to revisit at some point and get more people to watch. Definitely. Well, that obviously brings us to the end of tonight's episode, the end of our after hours block. Thank you as always for listening. And if you haven't done already, please do check out our blog, which is moosetpodcast.wordpress.com. Uh, you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Come and say hi to us. And wherever you happen to listen to us, please do hit the like and subscribe button and leave us a review, as it all helps raise the profile of the show. But as an after our season draws to a close, it means a new season must begin. And Kim, what are we going to be looking at for our next season? 
Okay, so yeah, no, for season eight, we're uh, we're being kind of going back into our themes, and we're going to be doing a creature feature season. Yep, that's right. Uh, we're going to be going through the history of the creature features over the course of eight picks, and that is going to be making up our eighth season here of Movies and Tea. So hopefully you'll join us again once more in the booth as we uh, kick off a season of creature feature goodness. And let's face it, you all expected it after the amount of shark moves we could on this movie. We had to branch out at some point, so instant we're going to be doing that by giving you a whole season of creature feature goodness but there uh, that's all coming up on our next episode we kick that off but until then thank you to my co-host kim thank you to you a lot for listening and we'll be back very soon with a new season and a new theme so, until then good night